is Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas Bank here. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, Apple steps up on affordable housing and private equity wants to buy the New York Knicks. But first, killing the business of healthcare. Elizabeth Warren on Friday released details of her Medicare for All plan. In short, it ends healthcare as any American has ever known it. It eliminates private insurance completely, creates very few out-of-pocket expenses, mandates lower drug prices, and pays doctors less. Basically, it would be the country's first major effort at healthcare cost containment. So how does she make the math work? Well, as you might imagine, this is where things get pretty tricky. For starters, she basically doubles her surtax on billionaire wealth. She then expects a ton of savings from healthcare administration and for employers to kind of take what they currently pay for employee healthcare and give it into the new Medicare for all system. And then states and cities are also expected to chip in a bunch of money. In terms of the politics and business of healthcare, it would be revolutionary and much more prescriptive than Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All plan, which is more of a choose-your-own-adventure sort of thing. It also seems to be bending over backwards to not raise middle-class taxes, which is something that Sanders has acknowledged his plan would do, although he believes those increases would be offset by lower individual healthcare costs. To be sure, it's unclear if Warren's plan could ever pass Congress, even if she were elected president, and the courts might also object a lot to certain parts. But the real question here is that were Warren's plan to become law, could it work? Could it fix a healthcare system that most Americans on a bipartisan basis believe is broken? In 15 seconds, we'll dig into that question with Axios healthcare reporter, Caitlin Owens. But first, this. This episode is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank. Know everything about coding, but not so much about banking? For more than 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has been helping high growth companies navigate through each stage of the startup journey. Stay tuned to learn more. Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas, bank here. We're joined now by Axios healthcare reporter, Caitlin Owens. You read Elizabeth Warren's plan. It finally comes out. Your immediate reaction is what? I was surprised by how thorough it was. And she really filled in a lot of blanks that we have not seen filled in so far by Bernie Sanders, who wrote the Medicare for All bill that Warren says that she supports. But it came with a lot of things that were not filled in, such as, you know, how are providers going to be paid for, what rates we be set at, and most importantly, or maybe, you know, depending on which way you look at it, but the big question was, how do you pay for it? It's risky for a politician to answer this many questions at once about a plan because, of course, then it can be used as ammo against them. But she did not shy away from that part of it. Do you think she was backed into this? In other words, you know, during the most recent Democratic presidential debate, she gets asked this question, you know, are you going to pay for your Medicare for all plan? Are you going to raise taxes on the middle class? And she hemmed and hawed and then said, you'll something along the lines of you'll see my plan soon. It almost sounds like she signed on to Medicare for All. She talked about it on the stump, but then she kind of had to work her way into the math. You know, that was kind of the climax of the criticism of Warren for this. And so she's been under a lot of pressure for months now. It just hasn't been as much at the surface for, okay, you say you don't really have a health care plan. You say you support Bernie's plan. Where's yours if you're the candidate of plans? How would you do this and how would you pay for it? You write this morning in Axios Vitals that really the highlight, the highlight might be the wrong word, but the most striking part to you on the health care side of it, not on the how to pay side, but on the health care right. side, is this cost containment idea, idea of, you know, for example, paying doctors less, lowering drug prices. 
Do you think she strikes the right balance here? Because obviously everybody wants to pay less for things. That makes this plan more affordable. On the other hand, you make things too cheap, they disappear. Right. You know, I think we're, we have to kind of establish a starting point, which is Americans pay more than any other country in the world for our health care, and we don't have anything to show for it. We don't have better health outcomes than other countries. So essentially what Warren is saying is she's going to suck that money out of the system in order to pay for people to have free health care, essentially, administered through the government. So how she does that is she lowers payment rates drastically for hospitals and doctors, and then she allows the government to negotiate drug prices. In an extreme example, she allows the government to either take away a drug company's patent if they refuse to negotiate on the price, or for the government to manufacture a drug themselves. How is the U.S. government going to manufacture a drug itself? She has a bill describing the kind of the creation of like a public manufacturing organization. But that would take a long time to get up and running. You don't just start a drug manufacturer tomorrow. Right. I'm sure that would be a very long-term project. I mean, if I'm remembering correctly, her bill is for, you know, only manufactures generic drugs. But regardless, that's a big task to take on. On the reimbursement side, on the cost containment side, let's assume for a minute this thing could get through Congress. It could get through the courts, et cetera. Which is a big assumption. Yeah, okay. They are huge assumptions. (laughs) But if you get to there, on the cost containment side, from your perspective, does it work? Do those things work or are the unintended consequences of those too severe? Here's the thing is we don't know. You know, we're kind of fed all of this argument by the healthcare industry, understandably, that, you know, if you cut rates like one iota, doctors are going to go out of businesses, hospitals are going to close and the entire system's going to collapse, right? But on the other hand, I mean, it makes sense. And even left-leaning experts will argue that, yeah, you can only take so much money out of the system before some people pull out, our wait times increase, and access to care is more of a problem. And of course, Warren's plan is smart in that it accounts for the issues of individual specialties and individual hospitals, so like rural hospitals, which have trouble making ends meet now. It does account for that to kind of make sure that those entities are, you know, not hit as hard or even shored up. So like primary care physicians get a pay bump according to what they're currently paid by Medicare. The bottom line here is, you know, we can speculate all day about how severe the consequences would be, but we really don't know because the United States has never tried any kind of cost containment measure that is this aggressive. I mean, right now in Washington, people are trying to solve the surprise medical billing debate. And we're talking about small amounts of money comparatively that would impact providers. And they are fighting like hell to make sure that it doesn't happen. That's just a small example of we've never tried anything like this. So it's pretty hard to know exactly how this would play out. On the hospital payment side, you know, one of the arguments on Medicare has always been, well, Medicare itself doesn't actually pay for all the current health care costs of those who are on it. Instead, it's private insurance, which covers the extra, essentially, for people. If you go to a Medicare for all plan, how does this actually work? Because you'd always be on the lower. Does her plan solve for that? So when we're talking about costs, first of all, costs are, it's hard to know what the actual cost of care is, right? Like hospitals kind of name their cost a lot. So we've never quite landed on like, does Medicare pay appropriate rates? And the answer, of course, depends institution to institution. But so that's a tricky question to begin with. Private insurance pays a lot more than Medicare does. And then Medicare pays a lot more than Medicaid does. And obviously, uninsured patients often don't pay at all. Part of her plan is to cut administrative costs. And private insurance companies right now, they spend a lot of money, a lot of their administrative costs are on trying to figure out what they indeed should be paying for the MRI or for the surgery or for whatever it is. They spend a lot on that. Federal government doesn't do that. So when you look at current Medicare overhead or current Medicare administrative costs, they don't do that job right now. They'd have to assume those roles, right? So, and if so, are the administrative savings from your perspective that she's projecting, are those valid projections? 
projections? Are they reasonable projections is a better way to put it. So let's just clarify what you just said. First of all, she I think her plan actually explicitly says that Medicare administration costs will remain the same. I think it was like 2.3% of overall costs compared to like 12%. Right, but don't they actually have to rise? So what she would do is she ties payments for doctors and hospitals to Medicare rates. So she regulates the rates. So this whole negotiating the price between an insurer and a hospital or an insurer and a doctor, like that goes away because they're get, they receive a set price. All that's determined administratively. Fair enough. Caitlin, final question for you. What do you find to be the single most interesting part in this? And what do you find to be the single most, oh, come on, no chance in hell this would ever work part in this? I think the most interesting part is Democrats have received a lot of criticism so far for not taking on hospitals or providers generally on the debate stage or even in their day-to-day. So she really tackles providers here. You know, she proposes to slash their rates. She makes it sound really reasonable and like it'll all kind of come out in the wash. But we have not seen, at least from her or most of the other candidates, we have not seen a willingness to tackle the hospital and doctor industries as much as she has, and particularly the hospitals. Those are the largest cost in America. So this plan seems to acknowledge that if we're going to really get all the excess bloat out of the system. We have to go after hospitals. You know, the question is, does she go after them too hard and where it'll backfire for patients? And then, you know, kind of the oh, come on thing. I think we talked about it a little bit earlier. So her plan is more aggressive than even Nancy Pelosi's drug pricing plan. And people are screaming about the impact that would have on pharmaceutical innovation, on the drug industry. And as we were talking about, like even getting to the point where the government is manufacturing drugs, I just have a really hard time seeing that existing. And even as progressive as these candidates are, even as populist as the time that we're living in is, I have a hard time seeing every part of her drug pricing agenda ever becoming law. Thank you very much, Axios healthcare reporter, Caitlin Owens, who writes the daily Axios Vitals newsletter, which you can get at signup.axios.com. My final two, right after this. Earlier, we highlighted Silicon Valley Bank's experience with helping startups. But with Silicon Valley Bank, you're also getting a partner committed to supporting you as you strive to hit your next milestones. Perhaps that's why 50% of VC-backed tech and life science companies choose Silicon Valley Bank. Visit svb.com forward slash next to learn more. Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas. Bank here. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Apple, which this morning pledged $2.5 billion to help California alleviate its housing availability and affordability crisis. You know, the one that big tech companies like Apple indirectly helped create in the first place. Anyway, Apple's pledge, which is supported by California Governor Gavin Newsom, would include a $1 billion affordable housing investment fund to boost supply and a $1 billion first-time homebuyer mortgage assistance fund to boost accessibility. Apple also would make around $300 million of company-owned land in San Jose available for affordable housing development and contribute $150 million to a public-private affordable housing fund for the Bay Area. It also would donate another $50 million to help the local homeless population. As Apple CEO Tim Cook told Axios, quote, This problem is so big that the public sector cannot do it alone. And finally, the New York Post reports that Silver Lake, a tech-focused private equity firm, is in talks to buy a big piece of the New York Knicks and New York Rangers. Three things to know. First, the Knicks are in last place. The Rangers are in second to last place. Most fans of both teams blame current owner James Dolan. Number two, James Dolan doesn't actually own the teams. The real owner is Madison Square Garden Company, which is publicly traded. Silver Lake has about an 8% stake in MSG and wants to help spin the teams out into a new company, albeit possibly one with Dolan still in charge. 
three. Lots of NBA and NHL teams are owned by private equity executives, but this would be an actual private equity fund buying the team, which is a bit more complicated, but not even that's unprecedented. The NBA's Detroit Pistons, for example, are technically owned by private equity firm Platinum Equity, even though most Pistons fans consider the owner to be Platinum founder Tom Gores. The bottom line here, this might be private equity's most ambitious turnaround effort ever. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Jesse Lee, have a great National Chicken Lady Day. Seriously, look this one up. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.